Before we hear from Hannah, um, who is carrying on our sermon series, I am going to read um, John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. So Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone. Their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I'm going to welcome up Hannah to come and speak. Good evening. Hello. Hey, it's great to see you. So as a quick introduction to me, um, my name is Hannah. Um, I used to be a secondary school science teacher, um, but I've currently got a one-year-old, so that's on pause at the moment. Um, I'm on the team here for our um, toddler group, which happens on a Monday morning, and I run a toddler group toddler group out um, in Hartcliffe on Thursday. I'm married to Josh, who's one of the clergy here, um, and together we um, live out um, near Hartcliffe and Withywood, and we uh, support a church out there. That's kind of what we do on some of our time. Um, and yeah, have a son who's one who you might hear around. Um, don't worry, I'm not distracted by him, so it's fine. Um, great. So yeah, what today I'm carrying on the series of um, looking at uh, the encounters with the risen Jesus. And today we're having a look at Thomas. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always found in every group of friends or family, there's always a skeptic. Someone who's ready with a kind of a backlash, an answer, or uh, I'm not sure that's quite right, or maybe not this time. 
If you're thinking, oh, I'm not sure there is, then you are that person. You are the skeptic. Um, and today we're looking at Thomas. And um, to me, Thomas is this person in the group of disciples. Um, and this is, the, this is someone who has been following Jesus around um, as he does his miracles and his ministry um, leading up to his arrest, death and resurrection. So we can see from the passage that's read today, although he missed that first encounter with Jesus, he's clearly still with the disciples. He's clearly quite dedicated. He hasn't run away. He's still there. Um, But we know from quite a lot of the encounters before Jesus' death and resurrection that Thomas um, was following them around quite a long time, um, and he had a bit of a bit of skepticism, pragmatism about him. So I thought before we delved into our passage today, we'd have a look at a couple of our encounters with Thomas before to kind of have a look through that. So in John, which is the same book of the gospel that we read today, in chapter 11, we have this story where Jesus and the disciples have fled from Judea. They they fled stoning, they were nearly stoned to death. Um, And then Jesus finds out that one of his best friends, Lazarus, is really ill, dying, might have died already. And he's trying to decide, do we go back to Judea to save him? The disciples are clearly not on board with this. They're like, no, no way. So try and persuade him not to. And Jesus says, but he's fallen asleep. The disciples, clearly up on their health care, are like, but actually being asleep is good. So the disciples say, no, 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 being asleep is good for illness, maybe he'll recover. We don't need to wake him up. And Jesus is like, no, no, he's actually dead. That's what's happened. Let's go back. I can raise him to life. It'll be amazing. And then I imagine in this situation, Jesus kind of marching off towards Judea, leaving the disciples in in his wake, going, what are we doing? And at the end of this story, we get one comment from the disciples, and that's from Thomas. And Thomas turns to the others and says, Let us go that we may die with him. Clearly, he doesn't trust quite what Jesus is up to. He's going to follow him, but he's not convinced that Jesus knows what he's doing. Later on in that gospel, we get a record of Jesus explaining to his disciples that he's going to be arrested and he's going to die, but don't worry about it. And he comforts them with these words. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And again, Thomas is the one that comes in, clearly a little bit uh, sort of a pragmatist at this point, and says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? You can almost hear Thomas slightly eye-rolling as he says it. And almost as I heard it, I read it when the students at school used to kind of be a bit annoyed with me about something. And they'd be like, like in that nice Somerset accent. Um, And I always hear Thomas doing that in, you know, the Galilean Somerset accent. of like, Lord, we don't know the way. But actually that question leads to Jesus being quite profound. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Quite a profound statement. I mean, I imagine now Thomas is like, seriously? I was like hoping for a map or some coordinates or a three-word location or something like that. But we've seen through these two encounters that Thomas is kind of dedicated. He's there. He's on mission. But he doesn't really completely trust what Jesus is up to. Bit of a skeptic. Always wants the answers to the questions. And then we see on this day that Jesus appears to the 12 disciples, the first time Jesus appears to them, Thomas wasn't there. Maybe he's gone out for milk or something. But the other disciples told him afterwards, we have seen the Lord. 
And Thomas's response to this is, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After our quick rundown of Thomas's character in the Bible, it's not really surprising from him. Thomas was never fully convinced this journey was going to end well. The Lord he was following was arrested, died and put in a tomb. And then conveniently, everyone else saw him but him. Like, yeah, right. The Greek for this bit of the um, passage where Thomas says, I will not believe, is incredibly firm. It's, I definitely, absolutely, never, ever, cross my fingers, hope to die, drag me, kicking and screaming, I won't give in, believe. He's like, absolutely had enough. And from this story alone, the church has forever given Thomas the name Doubting Thomas. As if it were a really bad thing. He's been singled out. Now, maybe you think that is a fair assessment of him. But I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that doubt encompasses how really okay it was for Thomas to feel these things. How really okay it is to be a bit of a pragmatist, to want to know more, to be at your wit's end and want proof for yourself, and not just to take everything blindly on and follow like a sheep. So that leads me to my first point today. Being uncertain is okay. And maybe you're here today or you're listening online because you've been invited by a friend, you're curious as to what this church thing is all about, or maybe you've always done it, maybe you've always come to church, but you're actually quite uncertain about the whole thing. Uncertain if God exists, and if he did, would he come to earth as a man? Could he actually die and rise again? And if he did, what on earth does that have to do with me? That uncertainty is okay. Maybe you're pretty secure in your faith at the moment. Maybe that's actually okay. But what you're struggling with is what God's calling you to do. Or there's an issue in the church that you're not sure about. Or you're not even sure maybe if God can use you at all. Uncertainty is okay. In fact, I think it's part of what makes us human. When I was a science teacher, the hardest part, I think, with the teenagers was to convince them to stay curious to keep asking questions, to not accept the world as they originally saw it. It was really hard but to convince them that science wasn't actually just learning a bunch of facts, despite what the GCSE curriculum suggests it might be. It was actually to just keep questioning, to keep asking things, why does this happen? To keep experimenting. And actually, science wasn't about proving something to be true, but actually about proving that all these other things weren't true. That's actually kind of what science was all about. And that was the hardest bit to get across to the teenagers. But it's not because the teenagers hadn't yet learned to be curious. I think we're born with it. I love watching my son play at the moment. It's all about, can I squish this? Can I pull this? Can I throw it? Does that fit inside of there? Can I post it through here? All of these things happen at the dinner table. Glad we have a dog. Um, but it's innate in him to explore, to question, to find out. And I think, actually, Thomas would have been probably one of my favourite students. Probably not an easy student to have in the classroom, but I think he would have been one of my favourites. I think maybe the church, rightly or wrongly, has developed this reputation that things shouldn't be questioned. Maybe as an institution we've taken on this force of Victorian parenting, of be seen and not heard, don't ask questions, that's just the way things are. 
But I don't see that in the Bible. I see so many characters working things out, exploring, asking questions, trying things, and getting things wrong. Even in our passage today, although Thomas is named the doubting one, actually all the rest of the disciples before Jesus came had already been told that Jesus had risen from the dead. Mary had told them. And when Jesus came, they definitely were a bit surprised he was there. They were in a locked room twice. This doesn't hold me up much hope that Thomas is this doubting one and all the others have this 100% absolute pure faith because that's not what that shows. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest and death prays for release from what was going to happen. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now, maybe Jesus wasn't uncertain about his call or his mission, but he was clearly still questioning, is there another way? Do I have to do it this way? I think it's part of our nature as humans to question and to solve. It's who we're made to be. Now, I'm sure many of you do, but I also struggle with perfectionism. But I also don't really like uncertainty. I like a plan. I like to know what's going to happen. I like to be in control. I like to know I'm going to be good at whatever I try. And I like to please people along the way. But I think the opposite of when that thing happens for me is a feeling of failure. Not, oh, well, it's failed. Let's try something else. But a feeling of, that's it. That's now my identity. Things have gone wrong. I am a failure. And I think that everyone will know that. That is now people's perception of me. I got a parking fine. That's it. No one will ever trust me ever again. I made a poor decision as a teenager. Why would anyone trust my moral compass ever? I forget someone's birthday. Can't be trusted to love. You know, all those little failures add up. And the reason I'm telling you about this, and I'm, it's a work in progress, becoming a parent very much, uh, you know, puts that all in the open. Um, but my point of explaining that to you is when it comes to faith, and the church, I can so easily slip into this mentality that if I'm questioning something, I'm uncertain about something, I have a bit of doubt, I'm doing it wrong. That if I um, have those questions, if I'm a bit uncertain, then I have failed in my walk with Jesus. That I need to hide my doubts until I don't have them anymore. But, but that's not how it's meant to be. My point is, being uncertain is in itself okay. But my point two is that we can meet Jesus in our uncertainties. So as a church, we absolutely think it's okay to be part of this community when you're uncertain or not sure. As I said, pretty sure we all have those moments. But what we also believe is that there is power in Jesus to meet us in those uncertainties. As we've already mentioned at St. Nick's, we love Alpha. Alpha is the perfect place to explore and be uncertain. And we don't, Alpha isn't a place where you bring those uncertainties to people who are certain. You're bringing your uncertainties to a place where you can explore together. You can ask questions, see what everyone else thinks, go on a journey together of wonder and intrigue to see if Jesus is who he says he is and what it has to do with you. And we love Alpha so much that, as was previously mentioned, we are running too. I'm very excited because of the crash that that screaming person at the back um, can go into on a Wednesday morning. It means I can serve on Alpha again, which I'm so excited about. It's been over a year. Very excited. It's a long time for me not to help on Alpha. Um, because I love it so much. Because I love how it allows people to be themselves in who um, they feel they are at that moment and to explore the uncertainties of life. 
it's an amazing thing to invite someone else along to as well. Um, I'm also sorry if Wednesdays don't work for you. I think we love Alpha so much, we would do it on every day if we could. But do let us know if you can't do Wednesdays and we'll um, help you on your journey in some way. Um, but it is an amazing thing. We trust that Jesus will meet us and our friends in our questions on Alpha. In, a pa- in our passage today, we see an example of Jesus meeting our uncertainty. After Thomas's declaration of intent not to believe until he sees and feels, Jesus turns up. Now, this is after a week. I do wonder what he was thinking for a whole week. But Jesus turns up. And as if Jesus knew what Thomas had asked for, Jesus didn't just say, here I am, Thomas, go back on your word now. He offers Thomas to do exactly what he wanted to do. Jesus says, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus' response to Thomas's doubt is to meet him there. Jesus then goes on to say, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Now, I think this has sometimes been used um, to encourage people to have blind faith. Just believe, don't question, just kind of don't wonder, just, just believe. But at this point in the passage, we have to zoom out and remember who it's being written to. John is writing this account to people who have not seen the living Jesus in risen human form. So there is an encouragement here to all the readers, or at the time, listeners, people who are hearing this, being read to them, um, that their faith is beautiful even though they haven't seen. It's an encouragement that Thomas isn't better than you because he saw. Actually, your faith is better because you haven't seen. It's that encouragement. But what it doesn't mean is that questioning like Thomas is wrong. And it doesn't mean that the best relationship with Jesus is one where there's no questions asked and you just follow blindly and don't wonder. That you should just always believe what you are told. And why do I think that? Because of the next verses that John writes in, the Bible, in that passage. The author of the gospel says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in these books. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written that you may believe. Look, here is the evidence. You've got questions? Great. Take them to Jesus. He, help him to help you believe. Faith is beautiful. It gives you life. But uncertainty is okay. And we get to take that uncertainty to Jesus. In fact, uncertainty is okay, but for the sake of the world, we need to take them to Jesus. We have so much to offer the world, so much that God can do through us, so much that Jesus can work with us in, that meeting Jesus in our uncertainties is so important. I think if we get a bit more comfortable with the idea that being uncertain is okay, we're more likely to take those uncertainties to Jesus. And then he can meet them in it, meet us in them. And I know that's really hard. I get it. This year has been a bit of an up and down one for me in terms of feeling comfortable in bringing things to Jesus and bringing my uncertainties to Jesus. A few months ago, I spoke here about Jesus being compassionate. And that was kind of one of my barriers, that I wasn't sure that Jesus was compassionate, or I kind of had forgotten that truth. Um, But actually, I realized another barrier of me bringing those things to Jesus is not wanting to feel uncertain in front of him. Jesus, probably the one who could help me the most, 
I wanted to hide those uncertainties and get it all figured out before I got to him, um, which is completely illogical for someone who loves maths and sequences. This doesn't really make sense. Um, but then the other day, something happened, and it made me realize something. So the other day, we were at a friend's house, and um, Josh, my husband, um, rides a motorbike, and we were parked outside. I came in the car, he came on the bike, because, um, you know, bringing a baby on a bike is probably not a good idea. So we'd gone separately. And um, <laughs> we went inside for about an hour, and then came outside, and Josh's bike had been stolen. And we were just like, oh my word, what is it? And we just didn't know what to do. We were kind of in those moments where you're like, oh man, that's crazy. Um, so Josh got in the car and I actually brought him here because it was Alpha Wednesday evening. Dropped him off. And then I was driving home with a screaming baby in the back of the car because clearly he'd sensed the tension. Um, and I was just like, Jesus, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't get it. What's going to happen? I need you to sort it. I need you to be in control. That was my instinct. And this is something that hasn't happened for a while. My instinct is to be in control myself and kind of chat to Jesus about some things, but like not be open and kind of that stuff. And as I was doing this, I was like, Josh, I love Josh and he's uncertain and he's not a happy bunny and I'd quite like him to be okay and I don't know what's going to happen here and I don't really understand what this actually means and uh, what's going to happen next. And all the way home, I was looking for it to see if I could, you know, drive in front of it and stop it. That would have been stupid. But so it was probably good that didn't happen. And then got home and I kind of sat in the car and I was like, okay, Jesus has got it. I had absolutely no idea what happened at that moment in time, but I knew that Jesus had it and I felt peaceful. I kind of didn't really know what response I wanted like from that whole situation. I'm not, I'm not particularly in love with the motorbike. I just wanted something to happen and I was just uncertain. So at that moment, I had peace. And then the rest of the evening happened. Josh never got actually through to the police that evening, kind of left some stuff and we went to bed. And then the next morning, we got up and we were getting ready to go out um, to Hartcliffe Church to do some stuff. And Josh just said, oh, this has been posted through the front door. And we might never have seen it because we don't use our front door. We use our back door. Um, so we picked it up and it was a card and it was from the police saying, we found your motorbike. It's been put here. And then we went to see it. There's no scratch on it. They obviously tried to start it, and so that little bit's broken, and it's in with the mechanic at the moment getting it fixed. Um, it had a full tank of petrol, and they didn't use any of it, so we're pretty sure it never got driven. Ridden. I did that this morning. Sorry, Josh. Ridden. Never got ridden. Um, not driven. And then, um, and then the guys at the, the car pound, it seems so sad, doesn't it, car pound, um, said, actually, you're really lucky, because usually they just dab a hole in it and set it on fire if they can't start it. And we were just like, this is amazing. And I was really thankful to Jesus. But actually, and I said this at Holiday Club when I was talking about this to the kids before Easter as well. That was amazing. The result of the motorbike being found and hopefully it'll all be okay is amazing. But what was more amazing about the whole 24 hours was how I'd gone to Jesus and I felt peace. I'd remembered he understands. I've remembered he doesn't need me to have things sorted to come to him. I remembered that. However... I need Jesus, not just when catastrophic things happen, like a motorbike is stolen. <laughs> day to day, I still need to reach out for him. And I often will avoid doing it, just like as an asthma asthmatic, I avoid cardio exercise, even though I know it's good for me. It's a similar thing, but, you know, more important. Um, and so one of the ways I'm going to try and do that in my life is to be a bit more habitual. I know that there are some seasons of life when just kind of being spontaneous in talking to Jesus and worshipping him and reading my Bible is actually great. 
But for me in my season now, I've kind of learned I need to be, have a bit more of a habit about it. Maybe each morning I do need to declare who I know Jesus to be. I need to be brave and bring those uncertainties to him, even though at the moment that's got quite a lot of stuff around it. And I need to kind of be honest with myself and also read scripture in a logical way to remind myself who Jesus is, whether I really feel like it or not. And I know that in all those uncertainties and all that uncertainty around that, Jesus will meet me in it. But also, I don't have to do this alone. Although our faith is personal, we're also a church, we're a community, we're a family. And when we have these moments of uncertainty, whether it's about our faith completely or in an unanswered prayer, an issue, our future, who we're going to invite to Alpha tonight, all those different things, we can take that to our community. As a church, we are family and we live to support and um, encourage each other in our walk with Jesus. Now, at St. Nick's, we have formal ways of doing that. So we have home groups, we have hubs, and we have teams you can serve on where you can kind of meet each other. But we also do this informally. Have a think, kind of look around you. Are there friends that you meet up with quite regularly? Do you talk about Jesus? Do you ask each other how that faith walk is going? When you have someone over for dinner, do you offer prayer? Do you let them have a moment of vulnerability where you can sit with them in something that they're uncertain about and pray together? Maybe you have someone more trusted that you phone weekly to just say what's going on in your head and be a bit more open about how you feel and bring those uncertainties to Jesus. This whole section, I'm basically talking to myself. So if any of you get anything from this, that would be amazing because I've just kind of written it for me. Um, Uncertainty is okay, but we can meet Jesus with our uncertainties. And finally, point three I have today is that Jesus replaces our uncertainty with peace. In our reading today, Jesus says, peace be with you, three times to his disciples. His disciples who are unsure of what has happened, who are locked in a room, who are maybe not quite in agreement. Jesus brings them peace. Although linguistically, certainty is the opposite of uncertainty, I think with Jesus, peace is the opposite of uncertainty. That when we lay down our uncertainty at Jesus' feet, we can pick up peace in its place. When we let go of the shame of not being sure or getting things wrong or uncertainty for the future, we can pick up peace. If you listen to people's testimonies, like on our baptism days, when they have um, talk about meeting Jesus, you'll find that in all of them, in some way, shape or form, mention the peace that Jesus has given them. Jesus is the bringer of peace. Even in my story today about the stolen motorbike, the biggest thing Jesus gave me in that whole scenario was a sense of peace. Thomas actually doesn't need to put his fingers in hand into Jesus's scar. He sees Jesus, and that's all he needs. And then Thomas exclaims who Jesus is. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is actually the strongest declaration and confession of Jesus' identity in John's gospel. From doubting Thomas. It mirrors the start of the gospel. We often hear that bit at Christmas, where it says, The word was with God and the word was God. Thomas is truthful about his uncertainty. He meets Jesus in the uncertainty. And then Thomas doesn't stay as he is, but he's changed. 
He doesn't remain stubborn or begrudgingly accept he was wrong. Thomas worships. Thomas gives Jesus the crown. Thomas makes a strong declaration. And I'm reading between the lines here, but I imagine Thomas picks up the peace from Jesus. And although we see in our Bible narrative, in our church, in our world, people having questions, moral issues, uncertainty, lack of clarity, getting things wrong, trialing things, we also know that this is not the way things will be forever. We believe that one day things will be made new, back to how God intended them to be. Where we will walk with Jesus clear as day. We can ask him and know his thoughts and direction. We can fully trust in him and fully walk in his way. We can be creative like God intended us to be, but also submissive in worship as God intended us to be. We will ultimately be at full peace with King Jesus in his rightful place as our Lord and our God. So let's take heart in Thomas's encounter with the risen Jesus. Let's bring our uncertainties to Jesus and be able to live with that glimmer of peace on earth as it is in heaven. Can I invite you to stand? And we're just going to take a moment to pray.